Please turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 6. How many of you have ever been responsible for somebody else? Kids, parents, employees, a class you taught, babysitting, or brother or sister. Anybody here ever been responsible for someone else? Yeah, you look everybody. Um, we too, as brothers and sisters in Christ, have a responsibility to one another. We have a responsibility to each other. We're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 6, and we're going to read all the way through verse 10. It says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share good, all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and Father, I pray this morning... That as we dive in, I ask you to speak to us. Father, I pray and ask you to help us to understand what you're doing. And Father, most importantly, I, I pray that you will help us to see you. And so I ask you to speak clearly to each and every one of us. Thank you for loving us the way you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we look at our responsibility to one another, we're going to dis- we will discover that we are to restore one another. We're going to discover that we need to check ourselves and to follow the Spirit. And so he begins with this idea of re- restoring one another, that that is part of our responsibility, is to restore one another. And he begins by saying, if anyone is caught in a trespass, now, so often we kind of look at people and we go, yeah, well, they're just, they're engaging in sin and they're enjoying it or they're doing this or they're doing that. And if it's a sin that we have overcome or a sin that we don't seem to have a problem with, we kind of feel better about ourselves. But one thing to realize is he's looking from the, the view of the one that's involved here. He says, if anyone is caught into a trespass. Because trespasses have traps. Sin is a trap. It's laid by the enemy and he ensnares us with it. And he he tries to keep us there longer than we plan to go. We really should never plan to go, but we end up doing it sometimes. But they're caught there. It's not by choice. It's not just because they want to. It's not because they don't have enough faith. It's not because, well, they're just a weak Christian. They're caught. It's a trap. It's a snare. It was meant to snare them. And it worked. And so when you see somebody 
that is struggling with something or that there is a noose around them or a noose around their ankle or a noose around their neck. It's part of the trap of the enemy. And so don't see it as a problem for uh, that they're weak. They just have been snared by the enemy. So if anyone is caught in a trespass, sometimes our brothers and sisters find themselves ensnared in something accidentally. And they can't see how to get out of it. You know, if we were if we were to go around and be honest with ourselves, I bet there's things that we all wish weren't in our lives at the moment. Things that we wish that we had overcome. And the truth is, we actually have already overcome it. We just don't believe we have. That's kind of part of the problem. That's part of the lie of the snare. You know, when you if you've ever seen trappers go out, they'll put bait out so that the trap will get you. And so they'll set the bait so you've got to travel through the trap to get the bait and then the trap will snap or it'll do its job. And so there's always a bait. There's always something there that is alluring and tries. And so what we want to do, sometimes what we do is we see that we're like, oh, well, that's none of my business. That's none of my business. Now, let me say this. I don't believe that we're called to go and correct everybody's sin. That is not my calling to fix your sin. Jesus did that on the cross. Amen. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit is perfectly capable of convicting you. And bringing you to repentance. That's not my job either. That's it. I can try. But all it's going to do is create wedges. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So then what's going on here? It's interesting the phraseology that he uses here. Because... If we see if we see an animal that gets trapped or we talk about a child that falls down a well, we will we will come out and we will dig out that whole well. We will do everything to rescue those who are trapped, don't we? I would think about the miners in South America. We brought people from all over the world came in and dug holes and they came up with tubes and capsules that they could stand in while they got them out and the, uh, the soccer team that was trapped down in the, in the cave. And we did every, one man even gave his own life to go rescue them. And so when somebody's trapped, we have a responsibility to rescue them. That is a our heart. And that's how we're supposed to go with the idea of rescuing somebody, not correcting them. But we cannot ignore them. Take note, because we are responsible, ladies and gentlemen, we're responsible for one another. We're responsible for one another. We have a responsibility to each other to watch out for those things, to see those snares, to say, hey, don't go in there because that's a trap. And so be careful. We go to them with an attitude of restoration, not correction. Then he says this, and I found this very interesting. He said, you who are spiritual, well... All of us spiritual people are going to come in and we're going to help you. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about spiritual arrogance. Let me tell you, it's really interesting if if you understand this in context. He says, you who are spiritual, restore them. So those who have seen somebody caught in 
a trap or in a temptation, it takes spiritual eyes to see that, doesn't it? So you who are spiritual is referring to those of us who God grants spiritual sight to, to see what's going on with somebody. But that doesn't mean because I think I see what's going on with you. I said, well, I need to talk to you about this in your life. You know, you need to come over. We need to get on this and get this fixed. That's not the attitude. That's an attitude of correction. Because he doesn't leave it. We're going to break this down and walk through this. It's really interesting how he does this. He's not talking about super saints. Those who are spiritual see the spiritual stuff going on around them. We have a responsibility to restore them, not correct them. How many of you feel warm fuzzies when somebody tries to correct you? Oh, that was so wonderful. Thank you for telling me how awful I am. That's so fantastic. Thank you. We don't do that. We're a little bit offended. We're a little bit off-put. We're a little bit, you stay over there. I will only call you because you just think you can say whatever into my life. Because it's an attitude of correction instead of restoration. The whole point of if God shows me something about somebody or shows you something about me is to restore each other and to come closer together, not further apart. And so the relationship should be stronger because of it. See, so how do we do that? But he gives us the recipe here. So how do I go to them? Because I see what's going on with my brother. I think God has given me some insight into this. How do I approach them? So that they understand, so that restoration can take place. And they understand that I have a heart. I have the right heart for them. Well, he gives it to us in this passage. We're to go in a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. This allows them to hear and doesn't destroy the relationship you have. We need to see them and realize their frustration. If God has shown you that, he's also shown you the frustration and the challenge that they're facing. And you go in with empathy. You go in with a spirit of gentleness. Be gentle with people. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, it's not what you said, it's how you said it? How many of you have ever said that to somebody? How many of you have ever started or ended a fight like that? Right? Well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. No, it's not! A spirit of gentleness. Because people do not read concern for them if they're not treated gently. But gentleness matters. Then, he tells us, watch out for yourself so you won't be tempted. If I'm going to understand what Bobby Joe here is going through, I have to be able to see it. I have to understand it. That means I'm going to face that temptation. I've got to look at it. I've got to understand why he's tempted. And so it's real easy 
to go over there to say, Bobby Joe, how come you're in that trap? Or, or you know, I think I know why you're in there because that thing really looks good. And then you start to think how good that thing looks and you find yourself in the trap with Bobby Joe. And so we're and so we go to restore and now there's two of us in the in the snare instead of just one. And so we have to be careful. He says, watching out for yourself. Listen, it's easy to discover the temptation when you're empathizing with other people. And so be careful. We have to be careful. So we go with a spirit of gentleness. That does not mean let your guard down. A lot of times when we go gentleness, we go with an open heart and a brokenness. But we can't do that when we're dealing with spiritual things. We have to be broken and for them and our heart concerned for them. And how do I help them out to where I know that they're meant to be? And at the same time, guarded against that very temptation itself. That's the balance. And so that's how we do it. We are called to restore, not to correct. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. I can't even... I become an avenue of the Holy Spirit if they're going to be restored anyway, right? It's not about what I can do because I'm not, I'm not smart enough. It's a spiritual thing. Spiritual things are spiritually understood. They're foolishness to the world because they're spiritually understood. The Bible tells us that. And so if he grants us with not... Listen, you guys realize that you don't know anything about the Bible, and neither do I, unless God allows us to understand it. That's the danger. I mean, even the Bible tells us that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, right? And so if we think that we've come to something because we're just smart enough or we figured it out, that's a really dangerous place for a Christian. And so be careful in our relationships with other people because we have a responsibility. He tells us here to bear one another's burdens. See, we must understand a temptation someone is caught in is a burden to them. It's a burden. And it may be a burden that they don't even realize. They may not even realize what it's taking from them. And I think a lot of times we don't. We're always focused on the bait. And not what we're missing out on. And so we have a responsibility to restore them, which fulfills the law of Christ. Now that's an interesting statement. Because he says, this fulfills the law of Christ. Well, we live under grace, not the law. Jesus didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. And in Him we fulfill it. But what did Christ come to do? Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. Right? That's what He said. I came to seek and save that which is lost. What was lost? The relationship. The intimacy they shared in the garden. Until they ate... They walked with him naked, no problem. Once they ate, they went and hid themselves. And they were afraid because they heard him. They had not been afraid before. And that's what happens when people get caught into a temptation. 
They start to get afraid. They start to put distance between them and God. And the whole point is to restore that. Not to judge it. Not to be better than them. Because listen, if God's granted you that, granted you that sight, you better go with brokenness and humility because God asked, because God showed you. And they need to know that. Because here's the thing. We could be in the next snare. And wouldn't you want somebody to come with gentleness to restore you and say, how could you do that, Mark? How could you cut into that? It's so obvious. How many of you have ever known something was sin before you did it? Did it anyway? Let's just remove the spirit of judgment. Well, this might help. Well, I would never do it. Really? You never knew something was wrong and just did it anyway? I have. And so our call is to restore. Jesus came to take upon himself our sin burden. Which he did because he loved us. And that's what we do for one another. We should love each other in the same way that he loved us. See, that's the law of Christ. That's the law of Christ. I'm going to give credit where credit. The, one of the people that helped me understand this was Brandon. Brandon talked about my 500 sins. And I said, only 500? <laughs> And uh, he said, if you're in a ditch with 500 sins, I shouldn't sit there and just throw you a rope and tell you how to get out. i got to crawl down in the ditch with you and walk out until it's 499. That's what we do. We meet people where they are. Jesus came and met us where we are. Our call is to restore. We have a responsibility to one another to restore. But let me tell you, you need to check yourself. Verses 3 through 5 lines it out we need to beware of self-confidence of thinking we're better than other people that is a deception that will lead you down a path of coldness toward others well I just don't understand how Bobby Joe could have gotten into that you know let me let me just go talk to my friend can you believe Bobby Joe's doing that now I'm gossiping I'm going to give you the church cover for God's help. You ready? Well, we need to pray for Bobby Joe because Bobby Joe is doing this and this and this and this and this. And we give details. That's gossip, ladies and gentlemen, and it's not going to be tolerated. We need to pray for Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe has an issue going on and we need to lift him up. God knows what it is, but we're going to be there. Now, is there a time to counsel with somebody? If your heart is to restore them and you're bringing somebody to help restore, that's different. If you're telling somebody just because you want to tell somebody because you think you got a scoop, I'll tell you this. You know what's going to happen? Number one, you're not going to be living godly. Number two, if, you, if the Holy Spirit showed you that, he ain't going to do it again. He's going to withhold on the opportunity for you to be used positively like that in someone else's life. 
you take what God means for good and turn, try to turn it for evil, who does that? That's the enemy. That's not God. Be careful. Be careful. Check yourself. Do not compare yourself to others. Don't compare yourself to other people. Examine your own work to see if you are walking with the Lord. If you look down on others to make yourself feel better about your own work, you're not walking with the Spirit. Because the truth is, within the sound of my voice is a room full of busted and broken people that have issues, that have things going on in their life, that have things you can't solve. Is there anybody having anything in their life they can't solve right now on their own? Other than me, thank you. Welcome to the crowd. So we're all the same. If God chooses to show us stuff, it might be so that we can help each other, we can share, we can help illuminate, so the whole room can lift. Not so I can be better, because I'm not better than any of you. In fact, I'm probably worse in some ways. But we won't go into that. Paul said of all the sinners, he was the chief. So that's the problem, too. As you get closer to the Lord, you start to see all these little things that are sin. Relying on myself for certain things instead of the Lord, that's sin, ladies and gentlemen. We don't talk about that. We talk about lying, cheating, cussing, stealing, and all those things. Anything that I do that I'm relying on myself instead of him is sin. I used to, I like this question. It's a question that comes from Steve McVeigh. It's in one of his books. He asked the question, which is more godly? Taking your son to a baseball game or taking your son on a mission trip? Which is more godly? You think the answer would be obvious, right? It's not obvious. The answer is, it depends where God wants you to be at that moment. If God wants me to be at that baseball game for some reason, it's more godly for me to go to that than go on a mission trip. Now I know that ain't popular in in the church realm today because they're so afraid you're not going to serve. I don't believe that. I think you are going to serve. If I connect you with him, if I can get out of the way and let you have this vibrant relationship where he's communing, you're going to serve because you love him. That's what matters. Not that you do it because you're guilted or wedged into it. What good is that? You can't build that way. Well, you can, but what are you building? So be careful. We're to bear our own load. God doesn't, you know, here's the thing. God doesn't go, well, that Stephen is really better than Mark. He's more godly than Mark is. God doesn't sit up in heaven and do that. For several reasons. God, you know what? People think about God in terms of him being happy or disappointed with us. You know what I think he gets disappointed in? In the idea that we've missed out on something that he had. He's disappointed that we didn't get to experience that. Or to participate in it. 
Because to be disappointed in somebody, you have to have an expectation that's not met, right? God knows the beginning from the end. (laughs) He already knows what we're going to do. So it's not like, Mark didn't choose me in that? I'm so disappointed in him. He doesn't go through that. Because number one, he doesn't see that because it's covered with the blood of the lamb. But I think he's disappointed that I've missed out on the things that he had for me. I think that's what he's disappointed in. He's not disappointed in me being a bad boy. That's not how God sees us. And so folks, we're responsible for our own walk. Don't compare yourself to other people. That's their journey. And you don't know what caused them to come to those conclusions and those decisions. And if God grants you a heart or a burden for somebody, lay that before him. Ask him to work in and through that and to create opportunities. One thing that I love that Terry's grandmother shared with her, who I never got to meet, that she shared with me. Terry shared with me, not her grandmother. Was that if you need to say something, the opportunity to say it will present itself. And that really is talking about the Holy Spirit. If he wants to use you with somebody, the opportunity will come. You don't have to force it or make it happen. And so our goal is to restore others. We need to check ourselves and we have to follow the Holy Spirit. See, if we walk in the Spirit, we're going to have gratitude for our teachers. He begins with our teachers. And the truth is, we have all had people that taught us in the Word, right? We've all had people that have educated us. I think of um, James Williford for me. He was a big influence in my life. I think of uh, Randall Price. Some of you guys can still get his books. They were He wrote a book called Ready to Rebuild. And he, uh, he was a guy who graduated with his bachelor's degree in Jerusalem. He moved here and he got a PhD in Hebrew. He taught my theology of the Pentateuch class, which is... The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so we built a theology, or he, they showed the theology of what the Jews had at the time. And understanding that helps you as you travel down in through the Old Testament books. And sets the stage, tees up the ball for the New Testament. That was, an important, that was my first class. Interesting. It was a great class. And so these men that have poured into our into my life, my pastors that I've sat under, pastors that have put their arm around me and, and showed me the way, pastors that have taught me how to do weddings and funerals, that have sat there and spent the time to invest in me. To them I owe them everything. I owe them everything. And that's what he's talking about here. If we're grateful for the Lord, then those who have passed things down to us, we're grateful for them as well. And so, he tells us here to be good to them. And that's what we should do. We should all be that with the people who come before us. Then Paul reminds them of the law of sowing and reaping. Now, isn't that interesting? We thought that was just in the Gospels. Right? Here it is here in Galatians. Now, isn't that interesting? That shows up when they're fighting over law and grace. 
He reminds them of the law of sowing and reaping. He says, when we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. That's where the flesh leads. Why would we reap corruption when we sow to the flesh? Why wouldn't we reap pleasure and um, health and well-being? Because the flesh hasn't been redeemed yet, ladies and gentlemen. If you let something that's not been redeemed lead you, it will lead you down the path of where it's going. Does that make sense? My flesh doesn't always want godly things. It wants ungodly things. Sometimes it wants things that are neutral. Is food good or bad? Good. Depends on the food, right? <laughs> food is neutral. Food is neutral. If I eat it for fuel to do work, to do what God's called me to do, that's part of fulfilling His plan. But if I'm depressed and I look to it for comfort, I get my box of Twinkies and I go into a dark room to make myself feel better. Let me make it harder on you. I get my nicely cooked and well-seasoned chicken breast and I go in a dark room and eat it to make myself feel better. Is that food good? No. Because I'm turning to it instead of who? The Lord. Well, it's comfort food. It's comfort food. You know, I don't see anywhere in the Bible that food is meant to comfort us. Food is meant to fuel this engine or this this shell that God's given us until the time comes that we're done. And so, as you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. Because that's where life life is found in Christ, right? And if we yield to the Holy Spirit as we're being led by Him, He's not doing something that's going to fall apart. He's doing things that are going to last for eternity. Have you ever been just moved to call somebody? Have you ever just had somebody on your mind and, and, and then you just kind of blew it off and blew it off and blew it off and then it just kind of went away? I've started, I've been starting to respond to that. It's been really this interesting thing. That as I had somebody in my mind this week, or it had been for like two, three weeks, and I called them. And we caught up. There was nothing majorly significant about it. It was just a good connection point. Who knows? Who knows? I may, I may be blind to what God is doing with that phone call. Then I called somebody about, probably about so two, three months ago. I, caught, I had people on my mind that we bought this property from. And I had been thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And I said, I just need to call. I found out he had passed away a couple months before. And so she was now alone. And so we had a wonderful conversation. I talked about the last time I saw him. We were laughing and joking. But that was him. He knew him. He loved it. He had a really good sense of humor. 
He saw humor everywhere he went. But he's gone on to be with the Lord. He was a Christian. So you just never know. We need to listen to those things. Somebody wrote a book about that. They decided, and I'm trying to remember the name of the book. Um, Joe Moreland, a guy named Joe Moreland told me about this book. He decided anything that ran across his mind like that, like somebody or something, that he would respond to it. And they wrote a book about how it turned out on each thing. And he just did it for a year. And it's amazing to see. Like this book had really touched him. There was a book that the author that wrote that book had read another book. And that book meant the world to him. And then he thought, you ought to write them a letter and tell them how much. So that's what he did. He did it immediately. He got a letter back from the author. And the author said, thank you so much for your letter. I was contemplating continuing in doing this because I thought this was doing nobody any good and I was wasting my time. God knows, folks. But sometimes we just don't want to put the effort in. We go, well, how come God doesn't speak to me? Do you ever obey it? Do you ever obey it? Do you ever had somebody in your mind that you said, man, I should share Christ with them? And then didn't do it? Let me tell you something. Take the opportunities when you get them because you don't know how long you're going to have them. You don't know. It could be tomorrow. We go, well, everybody's got 70 or 80 years. That's not true. My friend died at 56. It's not true. There's a guy in the Bible who saw all this stuff coming in. He went and built bigger barns and he was called a fool. He said, you don't realize today your soul will be required of you. Follow the Spirit, folks. That's where the Spirit leads to eternal life. Don't lose heart in doing good so in time you'll reap. Boy, that's a big deal. You ever been praying for something and it's like, oh... Let me just keep praying. You've been praying for so long. And then you almost ask, God, should I keep praying for this? And God's like, yeah, you should keep praying. <laughs> and you're like, why? Nothing's happening. Or you keep trying and trying and trying. Or you keep putting yourself out there and it just doesn't seem to go anywhere. Don't give up. Don't give up. Some ground. Boy, there's some, there's some really good ground that you can go out and just kind of, you could run a, a little blade through it and plant and stuff just grows right out of But then there's other ground that was that is so hard and so difficult to get through that it takes time to break through that. And so in time you'll reap if you don't give up. Well, but we want to give up. We don't, we want instant everything. We have... Potatoes grow in the ground, but we want instant potatoes. I mean, I'm not sure that the... Believe me, I love my microwave, but I'm not sure that it didn't teach us some bad lessons. We want instant everything. The instant milk, you just add water. That just sounds nasty to me. <laughs> right? Powdered milk. It's like powdered water. How do you even do that? And so don't give up. 
Don't remember this. Remember this. When you are sowing, you always reap later than you sow. You always reap later. Because you don't reap now. And we may never reap while we're still here. But I'll tell you what, I want enough planted that some stuff can come up after I'm gone. Amen? But if I'm not out there planting and I'm not doing my part, this is where I'm being convicted, Stephen. I'm not doing my part, then how can anything come up? We've got a responsibility to one another to follow the Spirit. So realize your opportunities are limited to do good to others, especially our brothers and sisters. He tells us right here at the end. I believe it's the last verse. Or, yeah, verse 10. Or let me go back to 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those of the household of faith. Opportunity does knock. And opportunities are not always there. Take them when they come. Don't sit on your hands. Take them. Be good to them. And follow the Spirit of God. If you see the opportunity, there's a reason you see it. And so what does that leave us with? In our responsibility to one another, we have to realize, one, that attitude is everything. How do you view others and how do you view yourself? How many people have been turned off by that churchgoer that's self-righteous, that thinks they're better than other people? How many of you like to be around arrogant people? You know, I enjoy that. Is that fun? How many of you almost, and we're, gonna, we, we're not going to even tell God about this, okay, so you can be honest. How many of you just can't stand arrogant people? Right? Okay, God, don't look. They just, get, they just annoy you because it's like, oh, who wants to be around that? Why would we want somebody to feel that way? Who we want to restore. Be careful. Attitude is everything. How you view yourself and others. We need to have compassion. For them. And humility. Compassion and humility. That's the key folks. Compassion. And approach with humility. And I'll tell you this. I'm going to. I'm going to. Scripture interprets scripture, right? I'm going to tell you, apply Matthew 7. Matthew 7 is the whole thing about the plank and the speck. And I'll tell you, uh, judge, the one part they quote is, judge not lest you be judged. But they don't understand the passage. The passage does, never tells you not to judge. It tells you to judge yourself first. And if you don't, and you've got the same problem and you come across with that judgment, you're judging yourself. Because hypocrisy, if somebody's a hypocrite, they're doing what? They're telling you to not do something while they do it. That verse, that passage uses the word hypocrite. The speck 
and your brother's eye is a plank in your own. See, it's, it's, man, I could sit around and tell you all to get stuff out of your life. and Oh, come on, that's easy and all that. But I'm not having it out of my own life. That's harder. That's why the same problem is a beam in my own eye. Because it's harder to get it out of your own life. Then you'll see clearly. Why do you see clearly? Because you've gone through the process of getting it out. And turning it over to the Holy Spirit. And letting Him remove it. Guess what comes from that? Humility. Every time. When God's grace has reigned in your life, how could you not be humble? Not possible. Attitude's everything. Two, take an active and compassionate role with one another. Remember, remember when you minister to others, you can only spend the change you've earned. Or the change the Holy Spirit's given you. You can earn change in that. Have you ever heard that? You can only spend the change you have. You have to earn, right? Some people have heard that. Some of you haven't. Um, If somebody doesn't know that I love them, they're going to be apprehensive to listen really to anything I have to say. Especially when it's in an advisory role. Because we want to know the people that give us advice love us. And want the best for us. Otherwise we're suspect. Of why are they telling me this. Are they angling? We don't know. And so you have to love people. To earn the right to share with them. If they don't know you love them. They won't hear anything you have to say. Unless the Holy Spirit just does it. Which we're counting on him anyway. So take an active and compassionate role. Three, the only way to be effective in each other's lives is to rely on the Holy Spirit. Well, how am I going to convince them that they need to give up twinkies? Or how can you figure out what the best strategy is to tell them that they need to use deodorant? You ever been in that situation? That's fun. As a youth pastor, I was in that situation a lot. Try going to camp. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. We have to hear the Holy Spirit. This is why, isn't it interesting that this falls... After we went over the fruit of the Spirit. This falls about being involved in other people's lives. Follows. The fruit of the Spirit. Because without the Spirit. Without the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Self-control. Kindness. That's the one I always forget. I think. If you demonstrate that. People are going to hear from the Lord. Because it's the Lord speaking and not us. And so we have to be listening to the Holy Spirit. When we, we need to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And when ensnared, we definitely, when we're the ones ensnared, we definitely need to receive the fruit of the Spirit from somebody else. And so that's how it works, folks. 
We have a responsibility to each other. You know, it's interesting. Have anybody here heard of Dale Moody? Moody Bible College, those of you who don't know. Um, Dale Moody was called to pray. His story is really interesting. We should, we should do some things on that. We should bring some of that in. Dale Moody, um, what do I have got here? Dale Moody was a, he was a short guy. He was a pastor called in Chicago. Um, and God had clearly called him. He wasn't really interested in God, lived his life. God had called him. And he, he was working up the courage to tell his father. This is a true story. This, we'll get to the story here in a minute. But he was telling his father, he said, God, he's Aragon. He said, Dad, he said, uh, um, God's called me to preach. You know what his father did? His father reared back and hit him right in the face and knocked him down. And he said, no, fill in the blank here. Son of mine is going to be fill in the blank here, a preacher. And that's part of what drove D.O. Moody and his passion for the lost, because he's known for that. He talks about that story, about wanting to reach his father and that desire that grew out of it. But before that, D.O. Moody was lost himself. He was sitting in a Sunday school class one day, and his teacher came over. And he put his hand on his shoulder and he talked to him gently about his sin and about Christ. And he had prayed to receive Christ that moment because he took a personal interest in him. D.L. Moody said this. This is a very strange thing. Here's a man who never saw me till lately. And he's weeping over my sins. He says, this is him thinking as a boy. And I never shed a tear about them. But I understand it now. And know what it is to have a passion for men's souls and weep over their sins. I don't remember what he said. But I can still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder tonight. Our compassion and love for one another and those who are not here... And those who we've not yet met can be the thing that changes the course of their life. We have a responsibility, ladies and gentlemen, to each other. Not to correct. Not to bury our wounded. But to link arms and walk out together so we only have 499 sins today and 498 tomorrow. That's our call. We need to have the passion for other men's souls and salvation. Just like his Sunday school teacher did. You'll never know the power of love and compassion on someone else's life. Think about the people who have changed your lives. Usually those two, those two elements were involved. You go in with that heart, and if you don't feel it, talk to the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I'm not feeling this. Make my heart right so I can share the truth of your heart. 
they can see it through me. Because there's no condemnation in Christ. So why would we dare put that on someone else? You help restore them. That's our call. Let's not miss it. Unless everybody bow their head and close their eyes.